And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Good morning, Rabbi. Morning to you. How are you, Michael? How am I? As my grandmother would say, how should I be? Ah. (laughs) You should be feeling good. That's what you (laughs) Thank you, Rabbi. Well, it's a real honor for me to speak with Rabbi Dovbear Pinson. And I've quoted the rabbi before in a, in, a, in a small piece where I was talking about my new, newly discovered tefillin infatuation a while ago, because I'm not a religious person, fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you look at it, because I'm imperfect. And the writing in the book was so beautiful, beautifully done uh, by the rabbi that... I was very lucky to have been invited to a small storefront new synagogue near my house that came popped up out of nowhere recently. And they told me that Rabbi Pinson was coming to town from New York for one night to speak about Wrapped in Majesty to Fillin, which, by the way, is the title of one of his books, one of his many books. So the rabbi and I started to speak on the vestibule of the balcony before the, the, uh, the speech. And I think that we, we really related to each other. And I, I'm so honored that he agreed to come on to the show today. Rabbi Pinson, again, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Michael. Are you available for people who may be listening, Christian or Jewish, who would like you to speak at any of their events? I do. Yeah. How would they reach you? Who do they contact? Um, I have a website called iyun, I-Y-Y-U-N.com, I-Y-Y-U-N.com. It couldn't be easier to remember. Hold it. Exactly. I, I Y, Y, two Y's, U-N. Yeah. Dot com. And there is, it's called Iyun. That means to delve deeper in Hebrew. Iyun. Dot com. And there's a, there's a, and if you email to contact at Iyun. We've got to come up with an easier handle for you. Something like JewishGenius.com. All right. By the way, if I'm I'm also, there's like through social media that people want to, Yes, how? How do they reach you on so, Twitter? What's your Twitter? I don't know if I'm on Twitter, but I think I'm on, on I don't run these accounts, but I think I'm on Instagram, Rabbi Dovbear Pinson, my name. You're on Instagram, Rabbi Dovbear Pinson. Correct. And also on Facebook, Rav Pinson, R-A-V-P-I-N-S-O-N. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink. Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898 
1.98. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Well, I, um, I wrote some questions, and we'll see where it goes. I mean, I'm open to anything you would like to discuss. How would you describe yourself? I mean, is it fair to say you're a well you're a renowned rabbi for your mystical understanding of Judaism or what? How would how would you categorize yourself if you wish to do so? Um you know, there are the sages, the rabbis write that a person actually has three names, like three identities. There's the identity or the name that you're given at birth, which is seen as some type of divine intuition that this will be your life, something connected to your soul mission. There's an identity that people call you by, and then there's the identity that you call yourself by. Mm. So we hope that these three names are aligned with each other, that when you, when you sit alone at home and you're not in the public, and you're just alone with yourself, the identity that you're expressing to the outside world as people know you should be consistent with the identity that you express to your own self when you're alone with yourself. So you're asking how people defy me. That's really a question of the external uh, name that is projected. How I would like to define myself is a different question. Okay. Okay, so I would like to define myself as a Jew a Hasidic Jew that is interested in being connected with the divine to live in a vertical and horizontal expansion state of consciousness. And vertically means upwards, inwards, higher, and it horizontally means more express, more expansive to include more of our relationships between inter interpersonal relationships so relationship between man and god and relationship between man and mm. his fellow man you know rabbi when you gave the speech the other day it was a small group of people because it was a small group maybe 10 people 11 people i was particularly interested in noticing your worldliness meaning you made reference several times to to figures that are not normally associated with religion right uh, Aldous Huxley, one of my heroes, when you talked about expanding the consciousness. Yeah. You made a reference to something that Huxley wrote. I, I forget exactly what, what it was at this point. But, you know, you, you've read widely, well, well beyond re the religious uh, things. So you're aware of what goes on in the society at large. Yeah. And I, I've watched some of your previous uh, interviews or, ex, you know, expository uh, videos. And I have some questions sure. because I wanted to make this somewhat about reincarnation in order to catch the audience's interest. So I'm going to say sure. the title of this is going to be reincarnation. Is it real with Rabbi Dovbear Pinson? You know, I'll make it like so maybe people will come into the tent and listen to this. 
So the question really for me is to begin with, yeah. what is the Jewish view of reincarnation? Okay, that's a, that's a very, um, that's a good question. And I would say because it's very different than the popular view. Popular view means generally, I would say more the Eastern view of reincarnation. Hmm. And it's different. And I'll explain you why. There's, there is an understanding the way the, in the Eastern philosoph philosophical paradigm of reincarnation is that every subsequent life is another sliver of another of part of a greater existence. So the, the metaphor would be like you imagine you're looking out from a small slot in a window and you see an elephant walking by. So you stand there for a second and you see a nose, then you come back and you see a body, then you see the trunk. So if you don't know that it's one elephant, it looks like three different animals or three different objects. But if you open up the window or for like, if you widen your doors of perception, if you will, then you actually see that it's an elephant. But really all incarnations throughout many different lives are just part of one karmic um, evolvement of self that keeps on coming back into different forms of life. Now in the Jewish understanding of reincarnation is that every single individual person is unique which is very important, which means the person that's having a conversation, me and you, that individual person that's called Michael and Dovber will never reincarnate as we are in our particular form, which means the way we think about the world with our understanding of the world, the way we experience the world and our feelings, our emotions, our, our states of consciousness, that is something that's distinctly ours. That's our soul. And every single person has a soul signature, like a unique or something like a unique self. And that's why we come down into this world. We come down into this world to express our uniqueness in the highest possible way, in the most spiritually evolved mm. way. And that's, that's something that's always retained to us. That's our individual soul. And after 120, which means after a person passes on from this physical world, becomes unmanifest in the physical presence, that individual self remains you eternally. That's why Judaism, we believe in an afterlife journey. Uh, wait, you're, you're yes. losing me. Yes. So we're here once in this form. Yes. So what happens after we pass away? Where does the form go? That's correct. So this that, that's exactly, this is where it becomes a distinction between, between the, the way the Kabbalist and the Jewish understanding of reincarnation is. Because in the East, there is no afterlife besides in this present existence, which means the only place to be, consciousness can only be in this world. So there is no something that's, that's called heaven or in Hebrew, it's called Gan Eden, paradise. There is no such a concept in the Eastern philosophy. In the Eastern philosophy. Correct, but in Judaism, we believe that, let's say, for example, a person passes on, we believe this person exists within heaven. What heaven is, is another conversation. Yes. But we believe that the person will exist eternally. So who you are is eternal to you. So when you pass on, you do not reincarnate. You will experience, God willing, paradise eternally. So we don't believe in coming back if we did bad things as a bug or a rat or a, or a well, 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 let me just say, let, let's be a little bit more clear. <laughs> it's possible, very highly unlikely that if a person does something that is so impossible to be worked out in an afterlife experience, ah. that let's say there is like a concept of hell, not the way the West thinks of hell, not like a Bosch painting where there's little devils poking you with, 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 you know, <laughs> think that we don't believe in that but hell is a process of refinement 
which is that the soul has to refine itself to become one with God. Oh, that I've heard. That That's kind of a, a popular notion amongst, let's say, new age hippies in America, for want of yeah. a better phrase, who yeah. have adopted a lot of the Eastern mysticism or Eastern philosophy through Alan Watts or others. Yeah. They, they've got it filtered down and believe that they're going to purify themselves in this life by doing things right. And if they don't get it right, they're going to come back over and over again until they get it right. Right. Is, is that a, a Jewish view as well? That That's an Eastern view. Okay. Because that, that means that you are basically, let's say not you, but let's say I'll say 99% of the people are mess ups. No, you can put me in the category. Go God ahead. God forbid. 9% of the are mess ups. And it's inevitable that you're going to be reincarnated into another form of life because you're not going to really refine yourself in such a way that you don't, you can get off the, the hamster wheel of karma. <laughs> God, the hamster wheel of karma. That could be the title of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, 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 but that, that. that's the Eastern view, correct? Correct. And we don't believe that. We believe that every single person, hopefully, that will say that in, in the inverse, we believe that 99% of the people, God willing, are good, are, 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 are possibly, the potential for goodness is, is lies within everybody. Which means if you really, if a person really taps into who they really are in this world and does it correctly and does it in a holy and a noble way, they don't have to reincarnate. You don't have to become like an a, a uber, you know, enlightened person not to reincarnate. Just doing good in this world and being a better person and furthering life and being charitable and honest and 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 upright and just, being a good person in this world will make will ensure that your soul does not have to come back into this world. Oh, where does it go then? It goes to heaven. To Ga- to Gan Eden. Gan Eden, correct. Yeah. And heaven, heaven, Gan Eden is basically, if you want to like give it like a, a Jungian uh, this understanding, it's basically where individual memory becomes part of the collective memory, and that is like that's paradise, where where the individual self could exists within a state of unity within the whole. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. In all of your learnings and in all of your teachings and in all of your discussions and in all of your incredible delving into this subject, has anyone you've ever met said they've been there and come back and could tell us what heaven is? We hear how people die and come back to life. They die on the operating table. Well, and, there's, there, there, and they're floating above the operating table. They look right. down and they come back. Yeah. Well, well, that's that's and the people that have near death experiences. There's there are many people that experience. A lot of them are just illusionary, you know, people having illusions. But but if sometimes people do have an experience where they transcend physical existence and they observe themselves as third person. And um, that could be that could be a physical phenomenon, and it could be a spiritual phenomenon. Um, and I think it's not so relevant whether a person actually goes to a real near-death experience. I think every single person in this world, uh, you included, will have sometimes experiences that indicate to them that they're much larger than their physical form. Let me Let's, think about that, that we're much larger, larger than our physical form, bigger than life, so to speak. Correct. Like you'll feel uh, some type of interconnectivity with, with life. Sometimes you're in the middle of na- walking in nature. And then all of a sudden you have this recognition that that Michael, this body that I'm carrying is not just me. There's something ex- expansive that I include everything. After so, half a bottle of wine, I can tell you I feel that. Okay, fine. Whatever whatever it does. You know, you know we get bigger. We feel expansive. That's exactly. when we make our mistakes. <laughs> oh, well, sometimes we make mistakes. But no, but we do good things, too. We start, right. I went to a restaurant with a friend last night, and after two, I wasn't feeling good, yeah. and he brought his big dog, his 
pet um, because my dog died years ago. I love his dog. He's a big poodle. So we go to a place. They give us a room by ourselves because we like to be alone and lucky. I know the owner. And after a couple of glasses of wine, I felt better. And we started to sing. We got the Mexican uh, waiter in who I know. And I asked him to sing a song. It's interesting. We're talking about this called El Camino de la Vida, The Road of Life. It's a very tragic, beautiful song in, in Spanish. Mm. El Camino de la Vida is not, the, is not what we thought it would be. It's a very bittersweet song. But I felt beautiful listening to this man sing. I felt we, we all were lifted up by the right. common understanding that we start out as children thinking life would be one thing. And as we get older, and as we, talk, we realize life is not what we thought it would be. You know, it's, it's a universal song. Sorry for getting off the track. But yeah, no, but the mean, point that, is that you have that type of feeling. There's some type of feeling that you're much larger. There's something bigger at play. You know, most of the times we're uh, very stuck in our ego. We're very stuck in our me, my career, my well-being. My yeah. Are we ever? Right. It's a very me generation. And sometimes there's some type of experiences that all of a sudden there's like a shared humanity. There's something that's larger than us. And that's that's really heaven. That's really what the depth of heaven is. Like heaven on earth. That's a heaven and earth. That's a heaven and earth experience, correct. Rabbi, I have some other interesting questions from my perspective, which yeah. is I watched you and I came up, I heard of words that I didn't hear before. You used the word a spiritual yanuka about yeah. Mozart. Is the word yanuka? Yeah, yanuka, yeah. What does it mean, a spiritual yanuka like Mozart? Um, it means that certain people are born. Not necessarily Mozart. Mozart is just an example. There's certain people that are born that have extraordinary talents um, that are un, uh, not rationally explained how people at a very young age, uh, sometimes sometimes there are children that are, it's recorded. There's, there's like historical evidence for this. That there's sometimes children speak different dialects, dialects mm, that they didn't yeah. know. They have certain types of talents that are that are unique. That, like a math prodigy at age four or five. Correct, correct. There's something unusual about these children. And so, by the way, sometimes they lose it, like at an eight, older age. Well, I, like, I didn't know that. Didn't yeah, know. there's a lot of times that they're like their prodigies at a very young age, and then they just enter into life in a very normal state. Unbelievable. So there's some type, there's some, there's different souls. It, it depends how your soul enters into your body and what state of consciousness it was. It's possible. It's again, it's a, it's a, it's an unusual thing where your previous life, the soul that exists within your previous life, within your previous existence, in your previous body, will, will in fact incarnate into, your, into a new body for a particular reason that has to occur. Generally, it doesn't happen. Generally, the soul that you live with is your soul that exists within heaven, and sparks of your soul, elements of your soul, dimensions of your soul now will reincarnate. But sometimes the entire soul comes in to another person, and then if that happens, it's possible to be a person to be a yunuka, which means they're 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 extraordinary young children. They have something extraordinary talents or extraordinary understanding or wisdom that is not explainable rationally. Is that a reincarnation? That is a reincarnation, correct. That would be a full reincarnation of a past life. You know, it reminds me either of Aristotle or Plato, and forgive me, I sometimes yeah. confuse the two foundations of Western philosophy, certainly not yeah. Jewish philosophy where there's a platonic dialogue, I believe, or where he's speaking to a slave boy in one of the dialogues. Mm -hmm. And then he says to the slave boy, how is it that you know how to figure out this mathematical question I'm giving to you when you had no education? This proves that your soul existed prior to this life. That's what right. one of these Greek philosophers was. I'm sure you know the dialogue. Plato. It is Plato. Yeah. So 
how does that is that relate to what we're talking about? In yeah, that's a, that's exactly. There's a fascinating piece of Zohar. I don't know if you know you're familiar with this text, Zohar. I know Zohar, what it means, but I don't know the Zohar so because I haven't studied the detail. Right. So the Zohar is like the is the classic book of of Jewish mysticism. Um, that's considered like the Bible of Jewish mysticism. Um, the Zohar was was published in 1290, but it goes back to the second century. It's an ancient text, and it, and it actually it mentions yeah that's that's also an ancient Kabbalistic text, correct? So the the, the Zohar says that pre-Estertalian philosophers were closer to the truth because what what Aristotle did, which was very empirical, he said if you see it, it's true. If you can actually experience it, it's true. And Plato and all the pre-Aristotelian philosophers believed that the power of hearing, of intimation, of imagination actually can reach us to a place of deeper knowledge and wisdom than, than what I see. Seeing is believing is a very Western idea that was implanted by Plato, by Aristotle. And that's why in, in Judaism, if you look at the, the most important word in Judaism, and the most important phrase in Judaism is Shema, right? Shema Israel, hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. What does Shema mean? So Shema actually means listen. Listen. It doesn't mean see. It says, I see the world, but I can listen and I can intimate, even though I see the world of duality and separation and dissension and hate and struggle, I see the world in a depraved state. But if I listen very deeply into the world, I can sense the oneness of, the, of, of God. So listening allows our ability to, to, to hear something that's beyond the empirical, beyond what is actually the facade of physical existence. Well, talk so shows, love that word, Shema. Shema, so that's it. So they Shema want everyone actually, to listen to them with the microphone, Shema. Exactly, Shema is the most important word. <laughs> it's the most important word. So that's fa fascinating, really fascinating. Um, you know, there's a, a, a mythical story about Einstein yeah. where some man gets to see him finally after trying to see him for years. And he comes in and he says, Herr Einstein, Herr Einstein, I finally understand what the theory of relativity is, that it's all a dream. And as the myth goes, Einstein stands up and smacks him in the face lightly and says, is that a dream? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't reality kind of hit us in the face sometimes. And yeah. Um, yeah, but the truth is that um, reality does hit us in the face, but we're always going to the word of Shema, of listen. We're actually always in dialogue with life. Yes. Which means we have always a way to respond to life, even though life throws us, throws us something, how we respond to it and how conscious and mindful we respond to life. That's really the way life will unfold to us. You know, uh, uh, I give an analogy. You ever played uh, uh, pinball? I don't know, I you know, loved it. I used to love yeah, it. Yeah, that was the old game of pinball machine. Love so it. the old game of pinball is basically you put your hands on the, on the on the sides and the ball is falling. And most people that don't know how to play the game correctly are frantically just hitting the hitting the sides in case the ball falls down. And that's a good metaphor of life. Most people feel like life is constantly coming at them. <laughs> them and we just got to smack the ball wherever it goes. And the repercussions of that smack is we don't know. Like you're going to hit it and it's going to go in the direction. Right. And that's going to come back down in another direction. So you're constantly in a state of panic because you're not sure where the ball is going to fall. But the real way to play pinball, and life is the metaphor of pinball, is let the ball fall down to, and hold it. I don't know what that, that lever is called, whatever that's called. Like Hold it at that piece. Think for a second, where do I want to hit the ball now? And then consciously hit the ball in that right direction. Yeah, the, re the real expert players will raise up those two little things that exactly. you control and let the ball roll on them and then slowly control where they're going to hit it. Exactly. That's life. So either you live in a frantic existence 
where constantly things are falling at you and you don't know where they're going to fall. And therefore you're constantly just hitting, slapping life around. This comes at one thing, one day, one thing shows up, you slap in that direction. Next day, another thing shows up, you slap in that direction. Or you become more mindful and you say, okay, where am I going to hit the ball? Life will come at you, but I'm going to be uh, a co-creator in creation that I'm going to not just be the recipient of the ball being thrown at me, but I'm actually going to direct the ball where it should go. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. kid i was mischievous in the catskill mountains there was a pinball pinball machine down in spring glen yeah and we learned how to pick the machine up without tilting it off completely oh i got it we cheated we, the ball. <laughs> we lifted it we found out how high we could lift it without turning the game off huh. where we get total control over the ball okay. so we cheated the machine now what do we do with the people in life who learn how to cheat life what do we do with them yeah, that that no, that well depend. Are you talking about this obviously in a negative way? Someone that's cheating. Yeah, I'm right? saying. Well, yeah, it, it is cheating picking the machine up. Yeah, correct. We're not supposed to pick the machine up. We're, <laughs> okay. supposed, to, <laughs> we're supposed to allow the ball to come at us as it, <laughs> but make sure we're controlling where it goes. Okay, but those who cook the books, in other words, deserve to get punished. In plain English. Well, if, I think if you if you lift the machine, probably you're gonna get a hernia or it's gonna fall on your leg. <laughs> okay, it's, it's not gonna end well. You know, we talk about chaos because that's what we're you're implying here that most for most people, life is chaotic yes, yes. and they react rather than think about what right. they're going to do. Right. So when you and I were talking the other day on the balcony before you gave your, your formal small speech, which was very interesting. We talked about the chaotic state of the world today, how mm -hmm. America and let's New York City. It's total chaos. The smash and grabs, the bums in the street, the random beatings of people. And I said to you, how long can this go on? And you said something to the effect that this is a good thing. You said something like it's a good thing because tell the audience why you think this is actually not so much a bad thing. Well, there's, there's two reasons. First of all, chaos always brings to order. Sometimes the way things evolve is you have to deconstruct things before you reconstruct it in a better way. So if certain things are going in a certain pattern of behavior, a certain way of being, like the unfolding of all human civilization also, and then in your own life, let's say you're, you're in, a, in a job, let's say, for example, and the job is like a sort of a mediocre job, and you're like, you're cruising through life, you're making enough money, and you're doing your thing, but you're not really alive, you're not really feeling connected when you're doing it. So sometimes being fired, which is the chaos, actually allows you to recreate something that's much better. So, yes. so, so the the deconstruction of things in in if we look at it from a divine perspective of life, which is that the world is always the arc, the arch of history is always moving upwards. That's what we, we as Jews we believe. We believe that the world is going on to a better place. It's going to a messianic state. It's mm. going to a place of redemption. So sometimes things seem disorderly, but it's really just a break apart of the things that was previous, that allows a thing to move forward into a higher place. So you think this chaos that we are finally even people who uh, impose these philosophies yes. that yielded or created this lawlessness. Yes. Even they are realizing 
Correct. The mistake. So Correct. like a woman in New Mexico or one of the major leaders of the Democrat Party, I don't want to make this too political. Yeah. She gets carjacked in front of her children and the carjackers beat her up, punch her in the face. And she comes out and says, I, I, I'm totally for the police now. Before right. that, she was the biggest anti-police right. voice in, in, the, in the state. Correct. In other words, in other words, sometimes things get so bad that it allows actually for some goodness to emerge. When there, there's a there's a vision in the prophets, which speaks about the redemptive state, is that Yivar of Islam, things become revealed in this world. But we don't know that bad, evil is evil because it's murky. You know, evil could be seen as good. You know, really, is yes. it evil? But once evil is exposed as evil, that actually allows for the elimination of evil. So sometimes evil has to actually be exposed mm. for being evil, and you have to see it that this is actually a terrible idea, and then you can let go of it as as humanity to let go of it and then to move into the next state. So sometimes things get so bad, if you look at it from a meta story, it's actually a process of getting better in that state. Because when it's not so bad, then you can go on for hundreds of years. You live with it. You can walk around exactly. it. You can walk around it. Exactly. You're forced to, 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 recon to, to recognize the evil for what it is and to say we got to move forward. Well, hopefully America's reaching that point of the nadir of this that's correct. Mishagas that we're living through, where we're a tolerance for the most intolerable things society correct. can. I laid in bed last night thinking we're going to do this interview and words started coming back to my head that were hard for me to I couldn't even sleep because I remember the genesis of this downturn. It was the radical feminist movement of maybe 40, 50 years ago where they were screaming, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. It was all the radical feminists in the streets screaming, hey, hey, ho, ho. Western Civ has got to go along with Jesse Jackson. Well, now Western Civ is certainly going. And what do we have replacing it? Absolute and total chaos. So I'm worried. Can this correct itself? Will America? Yes, I, will. I mean, we, we, we again, we have to. I mean, part of being trustful and, and hopeful, like the Hebrew word for betachon, to be trustful as Jews, we believe in, in the possibility. We actually uh, Jews. It's a Jewish idea, the idea of progress and, and, and hope and future. Uh, uh, we 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 gave the gift that the Jews gave to the world is linear time, not cyclical time. Like in the, the ancients, talking about the ancient Greeks, the ancient Greeks believed in cyclical time, and in cyclical time, the the image is like Camus. You you push up the boulder on top, like the Mrs. Sisyphus. You push yeah, up the boulder, Sisyphus, yeah, and it just keeps on returning, and you're, there's actually no progress. But Jews, the, the Torah revealed that there is time is progressive, time is linear. There's a beginning of time. There's a creation story. There's a revelation story and there's a redemptive story. And the ark is always moving to the state of, of, of redemption. So that's hope. And hope is not passive. It's not pa hope is not passive. Hope doesn't mean you're sitting in your pajamas and saying it's going to be better. Hope is an, is an active participatory activity. Hope means I believe the world is going to become better and I'm doing something for that. I'm participating. I see. God says, I want you to be my partner in this unfolding. That is what hope is. So well, I, that, I, that's what keeps me going personally, which correct. is I believe God kept me alive for all these years and let me survive the heart attack that I could do a little bit for the good of mankind, a little bit. So even right. if that's, it's a, that's hopeful, that's hopeful, even if it's a if it's a, a, a podcast like this, right, whatever a person does, or a tweet, sometimes I get up, I say, I have to say this because it might illuminate some people. Right. So that little tiny little I call it a little small step for humanity. That's correct. We always have to think about how can we move the dial further. Isn't how that beautiful? We, That's a beautiful. Expand? It's a beautiful thought. 
Yeah. How do we advance life? How do we bring better life? It's a very beautiful thing to believe that that we can make a difference even in the smallest way. Always the smallest way, Michael. All big things begin with small steps. Nothing big began without a small step. Yeah, that's true. You can't take a big step. When you want to change things, you change one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a Hasidic master that once said like this. He said that when he was young, he thought he was going to change the world. Like he had a dream, he was going to change the world. He said he got, he got a little bit older. He said, you know, maybe not the world, maybe my my country. Got a little <laughs> bit not my, my town. And then it started going less and less. And it's not my town, the block that I live in. My family. Then he said, myself. Let me just change myself. He said, <laughs> but if I could change myself, then I would change my family, and I would change the block, and I would change the country, and I would change the world. Beautiful. So we have to work on changing ourselves. Oh, I, I can, I can, I can buy that. Savage, home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. You know, in one of your talks, Rabbi, you touched on a subject very close to my heart. You said a soul that is perfect may come down in an imperfect body. Yes. And then people ask, why is this child in this world? Let's say a child was born with Down syndrome or a child who was born with something else. Um, I had a brother. I, I don't want to get into it too deeply because I've talked about it on the radio sometimes. And I called him my silent brother. But I said he was actually the greatest influence in my life. It's a very hard subject for me to discuss, but he's born a certain way in the Bronx. Then they find out he, he can't see, he can't hear. Beautiful boy, blonde hair, blue eyes. Then they found out something was wrong. He was brain damaged and he was put on a shelf in the apartment. And I was told, don't go near Jerome. Don't talk to him. I said, what do you mean? Don't talk to him. He would sit in the chair strapped in. And when no one was listening, I would whistle to him wow. and he would respond. And they would tell me he heard nothing. But I knew he heard me. I knew he could hear. So they gave him away at five. It was like, what are you giving my brother away for? I'm a little boy. Wow. For the betterment of the, ch the other children, we're giving him to a state home. where he died in a snake pit years later. My mother ate her heart out for years. Now, if you go to a place like Berkeley, California today, you see people in wheelchairs who can't move a muscle. But they have a way today with electronics where they can move, they can, talk, you know, move things. Sure. So if he was alive today, probably wouldn't have been put into the snake pit. But I called him my teacher. Yeah. Yeah. These are very special souls. These are souls that come down, you know, most people come down to this world and um, they come down for selfish reasons. We come down to perfect ourselves, to, to make ourselves better, to further ourselves. And there are souls of very righteous souls that come down to this world that choose. They have like a choice to come down wow. to this world. And they come down just to help the people around them. They're 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 totally selfless. They're there just sacrifice. Uh, yeah, it's a tremendous sacrifice just to give life and 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 bring out compassion. Like you said, you know, you're a little you're a child and you're speaking to them, and then you see this your brother as 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 your teacher. This is the sacrifice that he that he lived. He lived this sacrifice to make you more compassionate to make you more sensitive and that's a, that's a tremendous he also gave me the ability to speak to audiences and to animals in other words i can communicate very well with an audience that's what i've done for my whole later life where did i learn to speak to what's an audience the audience we're speaking to an audience right now that we don't see right. but both of us have the gift to project our thoughts 
first to each other via Zoom, but we know it's going to be listened to by hundreds of thousands of people over time, if not more. And we have this gift. I got the gift because I had to learn how to talk to someone who was silent, my silent brother. The audience is always silent. It's it's fascinating. The audience is sitting there. We don't know, right? It's some silent. But you knew he was was listening. That's, That's the point. Like you knew that you were speaking. There was someone there. There was someone that was receiving your words. Someone that was present, present to, to your to your voice, to your consciousness, to your to your love, your compassion. No, I I knew it. They didn't know it. They, they killed me when you know they. Came. You know what? Your your parents did the best they could do. And oh, they, they didn't know anything in the forties. Yeah, in the forties, people were so primitive about these things. Oh. It's terrible, and you know you can't really blame them. They just, they were following the doctor's orders. This is what doctors were saying then. The doctor was God. Yeah, the doctor was God, and they knew everything, and and they, they they labeled these children as you know completely invalids and mentally retarded, etc. That's the word, right? Yeah, word that's not popular today, but that's what they call them, and it's and it's terrible. It was a terrible time, but you you had the gift that you were able to communicate to him, and you able to give him what you gave him in the, in the five years that he lived with you. Well, I don't know what uh, why he wound up being punished again in this life for. I don't understand that part of it. No, it was not a punishment. That was a well, he was sent to um, I know, but that was a sacrifice. Sent to a home in Staten Island where he was uh, in a snake pit, a horrible ending. Right. A horrible ending. You know, I it was revealed, I think it was the will. I don't know the home somewhere in Staten Island. Later on in life, he was bitten by another mania, a maniac in the Oh, it was awful. My right. mother would come home white. She couldn't talk for two weeks. Well, anyway, I'll move on. I'm getting upset here. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. We'll cut this part out of the show. It's, oh, you don't have to cut out part of the show. It's actually very raw and real. Yeah, but it's too emotional for me. I, I, I can't bro- open these things up over and over again. Can <clears throat> Speaking of a soul, can a plant have a nefesh, a plant, an, a vegetable? Every, everything in this world has a soul. Like, with, what's the definition of soul? Like, soul means a spiritual life force that's that's animating this this object. Nothing in this world, nothing in this world doesn't have a spiritual quality to it. So the the tree is treeing itself, right? The tree is always expressing being tree. The animal is expressing being animal. The vegetation is expressing. That's seen as this the spiritual quality that's pushing that tree to be more tree. Like what's what's telling the tree to bend to light to receive nourishment, or to you know today we know that trees actually speak to each other, like they communicate to each other when there's danger. Um, what is doing that? There's, 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 there's a living life force within every every everything, even an even an inanimate object that is saying exist, that's giving it life, and the the, the awareness of that is very precious because you know when you're walking in the forest, let's say for example, you know some people just like. There's a story of the fifth Chabad Rabbi, Shalom Dovberry, who's walking with his sick his son. I know the story. He's going to ask you about it, where he talks oh. about the trees. He yeah. hears them crying when they're made into wood. Yeah, yeah also because also his son is like walking with him, and he's a little kid, and he, and he just breaks off a branch, oh. and, his father, and his father gives like a, a sh- like a shiver, and he says, "What do you do?" He says, "Oh, no, nothing. I just cut a branch." And he says, "You know, it's alive." Like, how did you just, if you need it and you want to use it, okay, fine. Then you're, you're doing, but just for, just for pleasure or just for just entertainment, like you're just walking. And so there's a certain awareness that things are alive. Things have a, a aliveness within them. 
and we have to we have to appreciate that and respect it. You know, we have to respect yes. the, the living things that God created. Well, in Native Americans, I did a book in the 1972 on American Indian medicine, which I became fanatically interested in for two years. Yeah. And when they were walking in the forest looking for a particular medicinal plant, when they came upon the first uh, example of that particular plant, they would not pick it. They yeah. were wise enough to know it could be the last one. So yeah. they didn't pick the first one. Yeah. So they go further into the forest to find the next one before yeah. they would pick it to use it for medicine. They were aware, for example, of the power of healing plants. Right. And, and they certainly understood the spirits in, in animals, which is why they would put on, let's say, a wolf fur or a buffalo robe. They were taking on the spirit of the buffalo or the wolf. And they gave themselves names like that. Right. You know, the wolf, this, your name, interestingly, uh, the no, bear. Been, were you named for a bear? No. Well, I was named after a, the second Chabad Rebbe. Um, oh. No, there who and the and the who's named after a student of the Baal Shem Tov. Wow! So that's who was, a, who yeah, was the Baal Shem Tov? He created Hasidism. Yeah, Baal Shem Tov was was this great spiritual master, probably one of the greatest Jewish spiritual masters ever, um, maybe in the world. When did he live? What era? He lived in the beginning. He was born in. The, he lived in the beginning of the seventh uh, in the seventh in the seventeenth century. So seventeenth century. Yeah. Um, he was uh, the 1800s. Yeah, the 1700s. I'm sorry, the 1700s. 1700s. Yeah, 1700s. About he was born in 1698, so around that uh, you know that time period. He lived in his 50s. Um, what the Balshemtov did, one of the great innovations of the, of the Balshemtov was of this great spiritual teacher is that he he took the spiritual teachings of all the, of all the masters and all the teachers that came before him. And he said that we have to translate them how they relate to within your own states of consciousnesses. So as opposed to experiencing them, these spiritual metaphysical truths as something that's external to you, we have to start to internalize them. And that brought about a very big spiritual revolution in terms of, of Jewish spirituality and practice um, and an awareness of the oneness of God in a very, very visceral, uh, experiential way. So not not experiencing the oneness of God like in a meditative state, which is more ethereal and philosophical, but to experience the oneness of God actually in life, in the experiences of life, whether it's in an emotion, whether it's in dance or in singing or or love, whatever 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 experience that a person is having, to experience the divine in that experience. Savage, Michael Savage, a host like no other. We talked about music, you and I, within the first few minutes of us speaking on the balcony. I, I was talking yeah. about music, yeah. which has kept, kept me going many days. And I was saying that the peasants would come off the fields and they had made instruments from the, you know, sometimes from a gourd they'd make into a, a gourd or a flute out of a, this or an empty hollow bamboo. And they would sing and dance after working all day in the fields. And people would say they were just doing it to relax. What they were doing was lifting their spirits through music, correct? Correct. And some of them would lift their spirits and praise God with these instruments and these songs, correct? Correct. And, and, and actually, in, in the Jewish tradition, the instruments that were, musical instruments were created together. The Torah speaks about the, the creation of musical instruments together with the creation of instruments of the field, of actually agriculture. So this is like seen as a necessity to man. In order for man to survive in the field, in order for man to survive spiritually, 
we need music. Music is uh-huh. is the is the expression of the soul. It's the it it allows us to attach ourselves to something that's bigger and larger and and holy and noble. So music is a very important. And that music is actually a very good example of what the Balshemta did, because Balshemta was very into music, very into song. So he reintroduced a lot of songs, a lot of Hasidic songs that were brought into the world were brought through the students of the Baal Shem Tov. You ever heard of the, the word nigun, like a nigun? Yes. nigun. So it, 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 it's, it's a word that's spelled backwards and forwards. It's a palagram. Nun gimel nun, nun gimel nun. And the, the reason for that, I don't know if you want to talk about music, but I'll give you a very short little synopsis of music. Go ahead. Whatever you want to say is what I'm here yeah. for. Okay. So there, there are basically, there are two types of music. There's Western music and Eastern music. And Eastern music, I mean like African music, etc. One is cyclical and one is linear. So cyclical music is basically repetitive music, like you're, you're drumming on a drum over and over again, the same tune, and it gets you into like, it induces you to like a, a, an alternate state. So through cyclical music, you enter into like a trance state or things like that, but that's the, the, the intention of the cyclical music. So there's cyclical music, and then there's linear music, which is more Western culture music or classical classical music, which is that it starts off in the beginning and then it reaches a crescendo and then like, you know, the music ends. So you're listening to a classical music and you know, there's movement, right? There's a movement, there's a first movement, second, movement, then you finally get to the crescendo, which is very linear. So linear music is sort of starts off like you're starting off in a very base state, like you're starting where you are and then it's taking you on a particular journey. Mm-hmm. And the, the reflection of Western music and Eastern music is related to the way the, in the in the east and the west, the way they see creation, the creation story, mm. because in Western civilization, which is a Judaic uh, s- s- uh, system, which eventually evolved in Christianity and Islam, the, the the basic system is that there is a, there is a creator that created, which is a beginning, and then there's a and we're in the process of creation, and time is moving linearly. So since time is moving linearly, music is also produced linearly, and in the in the Eastern cultures. Which don't necessarily believe this in the same in the same way. It's very cyclical, and they do t- they do different things into our to our consciousness when you listen to particular different types of music. But a, a nigun, which is a Hasidic song, which what the Baal Shem Tov revealed, does both things. It's both cyclical and linear, so it follows a linear pattern, but it never ends. Hasidic songs never end. Ah. It doesn't reach a crescendo. So it'll go, let's say, movement one, two, three, then one, two, three, then one, two, three, which is that the understanding is that we believe that creation is linear, but creation is every single moment new. Every, every, single, every single moment is new, did you say? It's a new creation. So there's a linear perspective of time, and there's a perspective of that every single moment is a new, uh, uh, a new revealing of creation. So... The, there's a chiddush, uh, there's a ischachus, I don't want to say this in English in the correct way, there's a renewal of creation at every moment. And that's very important to think about in your own life. Like, are you you because of your past? Or are you you because at this present moment you're becoming you? Are you are you defined by your, are, are we in the present defined by our past or pulled by our possible future? And the answer could be both. It can be both. In other words, we're still we're still dealing with our traumas of our correct, childhood. Correct. But correct. if we've come past it to a great extent, yes, well, we don't forget the trauma. We don't correct. let the trauma pull us down. Correct. And what we can be done, we can be pulled by a possible future that we want to create for ourselves. So we're not being defined by our past, 
and saying, I am traumatized because of these experiences and therefore I'm suffering. I'm saying I'm choosing right now to let go of that because I believe in the possibility of the future. Visualization, in essence, in, in, in a way. Yeah, you can visualization, whatever, however you do that. But it's really, it's really how we live our lives. Do we define ourselves by our past or are we being, being pulled by our potential future? Well, in new age philosophy, reinventing yourself, visualization. Correct. I'm, so I'm going to move away from me and leave all of my old self behind. I'm going to start a new life, turn over a new leaf with this new year. Correct. I'm going to be a, a better person. I'm going to go to the gym. Yeah, I'm going to eat better food. Correct. I'm going to change the cells in my body and I'm going to be a better person. Correct. But that you're saying new age, but that's actually what what is the word teshuva, which is the word, the most important word for the high holidays, which is teshuva, which is translated as repentance. But it actually means uh, a return or reset, hmm. resetting my life. Bal shuva. Bal yeah, shuva. Exactly. It means I reset my life. I say, OK, now I'm going to start a new from, from new. Everything that happened is OK. And I'm going to take I'm going to take responsibility, by the way, for it. It's not like I let go of my past. OK, who cares what I did? No, you did something. You have to, you have to, you know, you have to, there's consequences to your action, but I can choose at every moment to be new. Rabbi, do you have more time for us today? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Because I may have to break this into two pieces. It's going to be too good to try. I'm not going to give, I'm not giving all of these jewels away in one podcast. We'll make two podcasts out of it. This is a natural breaking point because the average person has probably stopped listening 10 minutes ago. I found out that the average listening to a piece on YouTube is about eight or nine minutes. Really? I have a very intelligent friend who said to me, Michael, you know, you do a one hour piece. They said they're not listening after nine minutes. So then I looked at the actual amount of time spent listening. It's about 12 minutes for me is the really? average. I think if you look at your YouTube pieces, you'll That's see. so interesting. 12 minutes is the expansion, extension. That's an attention span of an average person. The average listener will listen for 12 minutes if they're even that good. Wow. And then. Then they get they move on. They had enough. Their brain gets overloaded or they get bored in, in this age. So they said to me, do smaller pieces on YouTube than you've been doing. Do short ones. I can't do it because we come from a tradition of exposition, discussion, right. argument right. and arriving at some ideas together. Right. That's what we're doing. Of course. Yes. Savage. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.